Big Rick Podcast. The best of the biggest interviews from Big Rick in the Morning on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See more info now at onairwithrick.com. Good morning, everybody. All right, uh, Dr. Mike Lewis is on the line right now. First of all, before we get started uh, talking about coronavirus, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and a little bit about you? Well, I am a retired Army colonel, uh, a physician uh, who had a career in public health uh, and infectious diseases, including being stationed in Asia. And my job in Asia for a number of years was to run around looking for new and interesting diseases uh, and happened to be around when SARS and bird flu happened uh, 15, 17 years ago. Well, first of all, we want to thank you for your service. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, you, so, you, I mean, you just, you know, said it right there. You've got experience with SARS, uh, and, and that was uh, the bird flu. Now, I may be saying that all wrong. Why don't you clarify kind of the history of these diseases that you've encountered and, and then maybe transition into how it's comparable or not comparable to coronavirus? Well, SARS is... Um a severe acute respiratory syndrome uh, happened in 2003. It, it escaped just like the coronavirus out of China. Uh, believed to be SARS was probably a jump from animal species into humans. And it, interestingly enough, kind of caught on more in Hong Kong and out through Hanoi and then started around the world. Uh, and it was pretty bad. It was it was killing uh, um, a number of people. But the interesting thing was because it basically got picked up in Hong Kong, which had not you know, just a few years before had um, been under the control of the British. So it was still pretty separate uh, and transparent from China, as opposed to the current situation where you know this started in a laboratory in Wuhan and the Chinese government has been anything but transparent about it. Um, and then about a year after, you know, everybody was expecting SARS to come back the next year and it never really did. It just kind of died out. We were very fortunate. Uh, but what did start to happen was there was a lot of bird flu or avian influenza that started to come out. And so, um, two very different diseases, influenza and coronaviruses. Uh, Coronaviruses uh, are much more lethal. Um, Influenza is much more transmittable. Mm. You know, we, we know this, we get, you know, you see the flu go around every, every year. Coronaviruses, um, at least they, they don't typically have this ability to proliferate um, and which makes this one really scary, uh, the, the one that we're seeing, the COVID-19, because it really obviously is being transmitted worldwide at mm-hmm. an incredible rate. And while it doesn't have the morbidity, the, the fatalities of, uh, as far as a percentage of, like SARS did, the numbers we're seeing are just so big that even with a smaller uh, number or percentage of people being killed, the overall number, of course, is tremendous. So I just had uh, Newt Gingrich on the show uh, recently, 
and he touched on how uh, not only has the World Health Organization kind of not been so transparent about this because of the leadership that's in place there right now, but he also mentioned China. Uh, there was up to six days where they didn't disclose to anybody what was going on, which were six critical days. Why is it harder or why is it that way in Asia or China specifically for them to not be so forthcoming about this disease? Do you have any experience with that at all in your time in the military? Well, China is China. I mean, it's the People's Republic of China. It's a, it's a communist regime. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, you know, they, they don't thrive on openness and transparency. And interestingly enough, even as of today, they're saying their entire military structure and not a single soldier, sailor, airman in the entire Chinese military has gotten um, COVID uh, coronavirus. Uh, There's not a single one soldier that's tested positive. That's statistically completely impossible. And, um, you know, so it's, it's about holding on to power. It's about, uh, yeah, it's, it's about the lack of transparency. I mean, that's just part of, I don't want to say their society, but that's part of the, the regime of the Chinese government. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- that leads to another recent story. And I, I don't know if you want to comment on this or not, but, uh, I can't remember if it was an admiral or someone on a Navy ship who blew the whistle on COVID cases aboard his ship and, of course, was fired. Um, And now it turns out that that story is true. uh, There are over 600 sailors on that particular ship who have COVID-19. What are your thoughts on that situation? Well, that that is, you know, having spent 30-some years in the Army, that was what we call operational security. Mm-hmm. Um, while he may have been a fantastic leader and captain of a ship, how he went about it was completely against anything in the military as far as what we call OPSEC. Um, it, any communications about your status as a warfighting entity uh, is really at a secret or even top secret level and to mm. send out emails to 20 or 30 or however many people unclassified saying, Hey, we have a problem that is completely wrong. And I think that the Navy was correct and firing him for that lapse in judgment. And where does that leave us now? There's only one aircraft carrier, uh, in the South Pacific right now. And guess what? It's not a U.S. aircraft carrier. It's a Chinese aircraft carrier. Do you think he saved lives by doing this, though? I think he could have done it in a different way. I think that he, I think he may have saved lives. There's certainly no way to tell. But the fact that he blasted it out to the world it was not the correct way to do it. He could yeah. have pulled into port, and he had his admiral uh, on the ship <laughs> right down the hall. And I don't know what's going on between the two of them, but, um, you know, if he wasn't getting the results from his chain of command, then you go higher up in your chain of command. There's ways, there's a reason why the military has their rules. And um, when you violate them, you're putting your career at risk. And that's exactly what he did. If he felt that it was so important um, for him to break operational security and and basically stand down an entire aircraft carrier task force, 
um, you know, that's that's a national security decision. That's yeah. not a a public health decision. Interesting. Wow. Uh, fascinating insight. Of course, a lot of people have blasted his superiors for for what they've said about him. Uh, but uh, as you just pointed out, that it was definitely out of line as far as procedure is concerned. Which is right. A, but the yeah. but the acting Navy secretary was out of line by the way he went about it yeah. and the words he chose. I mean, so there was lots of lots of people to blame. And I would say there was a, you know, I think a two-star admiral that was the task force commander that was literally right down the hall on the same ship from him, huh. and we haven't heard anything about him. I mean, that's 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 where I would be looking. Uh, you know, why why was that admiral silent on this whole thing? Interesting, Doctor Michael Lewis is on the hotline right now. So. Um, in some states, we're starting to see, although it may be too early to tell, that curve flattening, you know, less cases, ex- unless you're in New York, of course. Uh, but do you feel like we're doing enough to get the country back running by the, say, the end of 2020? What, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I, I'm an optimist. I think that we're going to see baseball this summer, and we're definitely going to see football, uh, college and pro football this this fall. Um I, I I I'm just hopeful for it. I'm not making any uh, pred- I'm not making any real predictions based yeah. on anything other than being optimistic and hopeful. Uh, we are seeing a flattening. You know, we need to get the economy back functioning again because you know are are we so willing to sacrifice our economic health for our mental health and our physical health and our financial health. I'm, I'm worried six, 12, 24 months down the line, what are the ramifications that we're going to see on suicides and mental health mm, and yeah. physical health? I mean, you know, nobody's really talking about the long-term effects on the body. This is what stress does. Stress hurts our body, causes inflammation, hurts our immune system. It makes us more susceptible to infections and heart disease, you know, and now we're, you know, got people locked in uh, their homes and I'm sure they're not particularly choosing to eat, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, but, you know, I imagine the amount of junk food and alcohol being consumed has gone up dramatically. These things aren't without ramifications down the line and, and telling people they can't go outside to exercise is actually absurd. The, the The risk of getting infected is so much greater inside than it is outside where you're getting fresh air and sunshine and hopefully exercise as well. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I was reading an article in the Washington Post about when the Spanish influenza epidemic or pandemic happened, uh, one way that they treated a lot of these folks was to put them in tents outside and then they would put them in the sunlight for a certain uh, amount of hours or minutes of the day. W- what are your thoughts on that working with this particular pandemic? Well, absolutely. We know that vitamin D that you get from sunshine as well as from foods, and and most people in America are generally uh, deficient or at least low or not optimal uh, as their levels of vitamin D. Vitamin D can have a major effect on respiratory disease uh and in either way you know taking vitamin d can help and lacking vitamin d can hurt your ability to fight off respiratory infection so absolutely uh you know in the time before antibiotics and 
um, and anti-viral medications, the pharmaceutical medications, we really only had nature available to heal us. We used vitamins. We used um, cod liver oil because it's, you know, it's got omega-3s, it's got vitamin A, and it's got vitamin D. Cod liver oil was used to treat tuberculosis and influenza and lots of things. And we've just gotten away from some of these natural remedies that our great-great-grandparents would have thought nothing of. Uh, yeah. That was standard to care back then. Got to Dr. Michael Lewis on the hotline right now, formal colonel in the U.S. Army. Uh, have you ever had the opportunity to spend time with uh, Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks? I had, had a lot of crossover with Dr. Burks. Um, when I was stationed in Asia, she was running the HIV program for the Army, and and so that brought her to our research lab in Thailand quite a number of times, and we had a, a rather large section that basically worked for her back here in Washington, mm-hmm. but um, we were in Bangkok, so lots of interaction, not, not so much interaction, but an overlap with Dr. Burks, really very little with Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit concerned because... You know, the lab that we're now understanding that this this probably almost definitely did not uh, virus did not come from the wet market, wet market in Wuhan, that it really was a laboratory error. I don't I have no reason to believe it was intentional, but it was a laboratory error in a in a laboratory in Wuhan. And it's basically the research was funded by the NIH and in particular, Dr. Fauci's um, Institute, the National Institute of um, Allergies, uh, NIAID, uh, I just blanked on the infectious disease. uh, You know, so here we have the guy that's responsible for leading all this response is essentially responsible for funding the problem in the first place. So wow. it's kind of an interesting conundrum we've got here. How do I'd love you, to hear what Newt Gingrich had to say, have to say about that one. I didn't get a chance to really ask him that question. I only had, I think, seven or eight minutes with him. That's the time window I had with him. Uh, but if I get him back on, I definitely will ask him about that down the road. Uh, what are your thoughts on President Trump's leadership? And, of course, you've seen the riff the last week or so with Dr. Fauci and the president. And uh, Dr. Burks has kind of been doing her thing on, on her own island. So what, what do you think about the response from, from these three and, and how it's going? Well, my, uh, my understanding is, uh, you know, there's a lot of personality issues going on here. Um, I'll stay away from the negative for uh, <laughs> as long as I can. And I will say that Dr. Burks has a reputation as being somebody that that is um, great to work with and highly respected. Let's leave it at that. What about the president? What, what are your thoughts I on how said, he's let's doing? Let's leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> All right. I had to press you a little bit there. <laughs> Dr. Michael Lewis is on the line. Um, you know, in summary, as we wrap up here today, just give us your insight, having dealt with SARS and some some other infectious diseases throughout your career, and how that response was led and then resolved. How long? How long do you think this is going to realistically take to overcome? And what is it going to take to really defeat this coronavirus and and get America back to normal? 
Well, I think it's going to take a loosening of the fear that we all have on this as one of the big uh, ultimate things. I think we're going to come out of this culturally uh, or as a country with PTSD. I mean, we're just it's going to change how we react for years to come. We need to really, you know, I will say the president trying to push this back down to the, the governors and to the local level is exactly what has to happen. Medicine is controlled at the state level, which means the government, the governors have control over it. You think about insurances are all controlled at the state level. I don't have a federal medical license. I have a state medical license. All these things are controlled at the state level. The governors are responsible. But on the other hand, we should not be treating Montana and Kentucky and North Dakota and New Mexico, the same as New York City. And so we should be opening up and getting people back to work um, at a more regional, at a more state, at a more local level. I think we need we could be doing that now. Uh, as long as we keep a good, strong public health presence and get adequate testing, that's and that's really the key is going to be having the ability to test people and do the basic public health epidemiologic field epidemiology contact tracing that we should have been doing from the very beginning. But sometimes when the numbers get so big, it becomes impossible. Then you just have to go to containment. Uh, It's like going to a man-to-man defense in basketball and saying you're overwhelmed. You just got to go to a zone defense. And that's exactly what we've had to do. We needed to get back to the man-to-man defense. Yeah. Dr. Michael Lewis is with me. You know, one follow-up question, if you don't mind, I don't know how much time you've got here, Um, but I wanted to ask you, you you mentioned the regional uh, thing about how to you know roll this back out and get things back going again. I don't know if you've been watching the state of Kentucky, but uh, the 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 TV ratings for uh, Governor Andy Bashir's daily press conference are through the roof. Uh, it's it's amazing. W- what do you think about his uh, leadership? And and by the way, Kentucky, I believe, is probably one of these states that are really flattening that curve really quickly with their aggressive response to it. Have you had a chance to to follow that? In, and what are your thoughts? I, I know there's a lot of um, tension between Kentucky and is it Tennessee, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah there is. So <laughs> a lot of tension between the two. I, I'm, I'm going to avoid the question and say one of one state that seems to be having the right direction that I've seen has really been Iowa. Where the governor there has said, all right, we're, you know, we're not going to look at it as a whole state. We're dividing the state up into regions based on population. um, And we're going to start opening back up on a regional basis. Uh, I think that that's a very um, reasonable approach. So things like, I know there's a lot of, um, you know, and I know South Carolina, I think, has like, say, BMW factories. And I know a lot of the the car factories have moved, you know, out of the Detroit area and, of, of course, down south. Um, you know, can we get some of these factories back to work in areas that don't have a lot of virus transmission going on, but keep a good eye on things. And so if there's a case that's identified, you get them, pull them out, you break that domino uh, effect 
um, by you know pulling them out and quarantining them and testing people around them to make sure that we can break that transmission. That's the basics that we we need to do, and I think we can do that at a a county uh, level. Um, you know, inner cities, big cities are going to be much more difficult. That's one of the reasons why New York City is having the issues is just the amount of people in, in a smaller space versus, um, you know, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee. Uh, the rest of the country is not like New York City, so we shouldn't be treating it like yeah. New York City. Iowa is such an interesting state, too. They don't really have big cities there, but they have a lot of medium-sized cities throughout the state, and they're all, like, along I-80 there, too, it seems like. So that's it's an interesting approach that they're taking here to, to divide that up into regions. Um, all right. Well, tell us a little bit about where folks can find you. Uh, I'm sure you, you, what, you've got some social media presence, maybe some books they can read too. Well, I, you know, when we talk about concussions, uh, which is an area of interest for the last 10 or so years, I came out with a book called when brains collide, um, <clears throat> when brains collide is available on Amazon and goes into a lot of things that actually cover, you know, some crossover with what we're talking about is the idea of keeping our brains healthy and how to use nutritional ways to do that. Uh, when I retired from the military, I started a small nonprofit, and I've got ways to handle the stress on, on the website, and that website's brainhealtheducation.org, brainhealtheducation.org. And I've been doing a lot, uh, a little bit more, you know, YouTube uh, video type of things. So if you want to go into U- the YouTube channel and look up CV Sciences TV, C as in wow. Charlie, V as in Victor Sciences TV, lots of great information there as well. Okay. Dr. Michael Lewis on the phone line, getting his thoughts on everything from coronavirus to concussions. Yeah. I'll have to go check that out, too. I'm a former football player. Maybe I can get some pointers from there, too. (laughs) All right. Well, hey. Happy to help. Thank you for joining us. And uh, come back on the show anytime. Wonderful insight. Fascinating uh, from your point of view and the things you've seen throughout your career. Really can't thank you enough for being on today. It's been an interesting career. That's for sure. All right. Well, take care. and We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Big Rick Podcast. Remember to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See exclusive video interviews and content now with the Big Rick in the Morning YouTube channel. Subscribe now at onairwithrick.com.